0: So to know him is to like him. You can welcome Proverb to the show, not for the first time. He is one of the warmest, most talented people you'll ever meet as a TV host, producer, musician, and entrepreneur. Most recently, he has given readers an unprecedented look into his life in his memoir, which is called The Book of Proverb. And in it, he provides an honest account of his life's hustle in the ebbs and flows of the entertainment industry, which he hopes will invoke a little bit of awareness of self in others. And, man, do you do that. So I'm always happy to see you. How are you, my friend?
1: Gee, I am so good, uh, more so for chatting to you. It's been a while. Always good to connect with you. Uh, you are the best in the biz. Congrats on all the success that you've enjoyed. Um, and, yeah, I'm glad to be chatting to you.
0: Well, listen, this book of yours, first of all, I I want to thank you for the the very kind and flattering things that you said about me in the book. And you you really have been, you've been nice to to a few people, but I appreciate thoroughly what you said and and how much of like, I had no idea when when I was talking to you on those innumerable flights to and from wherever and those number of times backstage when we were doing idols. I didn't know that you were actually listening. I was was kind of, oh my God, I hope I said the right thing every time you brought me up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> see listen,
1: uh, first of all, I've always been a fan, but um, I've always had mad respect. And uh, I remember that conversation that we had um, on the flight back from one of the auditions. And at the time, you know, it made no sense to me. But it's one of those things where when you hear it, at the time that you hear it, it doesn't resonate. It doesn't register. It it means so little to me, right? But as the years have gone, so you keep reflecting and you keep saying, you know, G did really school me on this. He did really empower me on this. And I don't know if you remember that uh, conversation or the words that you said to me, but they've really, really served me well.
0: Well, I I think your whole book is just, it's an extremely interesting um, life story. I mean, there was, there was obviously plenty of stuff that I didn't know about, despite how much time we've spent together. There was so much, sure. that was, there was so much, it was deeply personal. There was stuff that you, um, you had to be really brave to share some of that information, you know, uh, because you live in the, in the public eye, I've always maintained that it's, it's important to keep a little bit of yourself to yourself and, and a little bit of yourself outside of what you do just for your children or your family or your relationship's sake and um and i think you you've done that really beautifully it must have been a difficult thing to actually put pen to paper and decide okay this is stuff i'm i'm going to include where so much of it was deeply personal
1: yeah. Sure, G. I think, you know, if if it's stuff that's that's burdensome, it's stuff that keeps you from, uh, you know, moving on with your life, from developing any further, and just stuff you're harboring and holding on to, then I, I do think you need to find a healthy way to offload. Yeah. So for me... Um you know the, the the memoir was an opportunity to really just uh, put down some of the heavier burdens that I really had been carrying and were potentially blocking me from maximizing my potential. Uh, the aim of it you know was not to sort of rubbish anybody in the process or to make myself look like a saint or a victim, if you like, but rather just to kind of offload and by doing so maybe empower others. To uh, to find their ways of, of of loading some of the stuff they're carrying.
0: You know, when when they asked me to write my second book, and um, and they said it's got to be a little more autobiographical, I was just absolutely decided against it because I thought, first of all, right. who, who cares? Like, who's who's? Uh, I don't, sure, I'm, I don't have the most interesting life ever. I'm I'm not the world's most wildly successful person. I I don't necessarily have more insights than other people. I haven't. Um, I haven't traveled as extensively as I'd like. I haven't, um, you know, I haven't built a piece of software that's changed the world. I haven't, you know, (laughs) I didn't develop fire or the wheel. What the hell does anyone care what I'm doing? Did you have any of those when you first decided to, to do this project?
1: One hundred percent. You know, um, I also sort of uh, the offer came onto the table. I really sincerely felt like I haven't lived enough. I don't have enough life experiences and I'm certainly not going to stand on a pedestal and tell anyone how to live their life. But um, when the publisher said to me, you know, you'll be surprised how much people can learn from your story. And it's uh, it's ironic that it's you and I having this conversation because uh, I learned some I learned so much. From interacting with you, um, that it says to me that you know your life experiences from the inside out. You may not think that uh, you have anything worthwhile to share, but it's up to the reader to draw the experiences. You know, I mean, take uh, take that very life lesson, and perhaps for the purposes of this uh, of this recording, let me let me tell folks what it was. You said to me after I got the idols gig, just remember, it's not about you, right? Passing cheeky one-liner, or at least it felt cheeky at the time that you said it to me, I thought, where does this guy get off telling me that? Of course it's about me. I just got the best gig of my career, you know. But how that has served me is because, you know, I then realized this is actually a platform that serves others. And with having that understanding, I suppose I have been able to enjoy the longevity that I have because I know why I'm doing it. I had to understand my why. So by telling your story, your perspective, you know, your experiences, you know, we will draw the life lessons. So it's not actually for you to decide if your story is worth telling, but rather for us, the readers to say, what are the lessons we're going to draw from it? So that's how I approached my book to say, this is my story, my experience. My perspective. Uh, if you can find some lessons from it, then we have achieved uh, and accomplished our goal.
0: So let's just talk about idols for a second, because it's it's territory that we both shared and we our, our lives sure. overlapped a huge amount there. I mean, apart from you actually auditioning there once and then and then getting the job, and and then also becoming the executive producer of that show. Yeah, yeah. You, you really you started to understand what what a a huge machine you were part of very early on sure you said it does it's a platform that gives many people an opportunity to get on tv to show their stuff to start a career in some in some very rare cases because it still requires an enormous amount of work but that that show is a juggernaut i mean it is one of the most successful tv shows in south african history it's right up there it continues to be successful year on year you work with a team I, I know, having been in there, it's a tight team of people who know each other really well, um, who, are, sure. who are interested in not just producing like a sausage factory, a, a machine, a, a show, <laughs> but it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a care and a diligence and a, and a, and a duty to do it well. Um, you, you realize that if, last, if the last season um, was any good, the next season has to be much better. And you have to keep taking sure. things up a level. What, what does idols mean to you from the inside and on the outside? Because it is going to be probably one of those things that people who you don't know will always know you for. Sure. Gee, you know what? Um,
1: there, there's an elaborate response I can give you. Then there's one that's significantly simpler. When I read in the newspaper um, some two years ago, um, there was an article that came up and it said, Yanga, who was one of our winners, buys her mom a house right? Immediately, I said to myself, there it is right there. This is why we're doing this. So beyond building careers, beyond creating personalities, beyond making people famous, beyond the money, we are are changing lives. So I can only tell you the fulfillment that I get from seeing somebody, you know, uh, go from just a youngster next door to being able to change the entire family's life like that. For me, that's certainly why I love being a part of the process. It's amazing.
0: What is What does an executive producer do, do, though, for people who don't know television? What is that role? Right. What, is that, what does that have to do with your day-to-day work? Sure. Okay. So,
1: um, you know, the mad scientist in the team, uh, Gavin Ratton, he is the guy who deals with with the nuts and bolts so he will sort of come with the camera angles the concepts of the show um and just the mechanicals of putting it all together the quality of uh, the end product that you see um where i come in is uh, the content bits so i'm a lot uh, you know closer and i have my ear to the ground so i know what uh, what hits out there right now what is trending what people are listening to what is being spoken about what are the trending topics uh, for instance uh, who are the judges to get uh, the guest judges, at least. Um, so I sort of come in and I, I compliment the team in, in that respect, you know, as a, a former active musician myself, uh, you know, I'm a lot more aware of what's on radio, what contestants should be singing. What are the themes? Who are the guest performers we need to get on? So th- that's more my day to day contribution to the show.
0: Is is there a, a a large team of people, or is it still more or less something I would recognise, something that people who work in a small business would understand? I mean, it, it's not it's not like hundreds and hundreds of people, right?
1: Well, the the, the nuclear team remains small. Um, But, of course, as we get to uh, the the actual production and the live shows, we would then uh, engage the services of uh, service providers, so the staging guys, the lighting guys, the camera crew, etc. But the nuclear production team uh, remains pretty small.
0: So, if we go back to the book for a second, um, you've paid a lot of tribute to people who've helped make you the person that you are, especially your parents and your grandmother and your siblings. Just tell me about your I don't want you to you know people just buy the book obviously, but tell give me a synopsis of of who those people are and and what their their abiding influences on you
1: sure look man I grew up in a strict household <laughs> and uh, it's it's everything from you know how uh, you know it shaped my perspective, it shaped who I am. My mom once threatened me and said, if she ever heard me swear on a rap song, right. she will disown me and come and grab me by the ear. And those kind of teachings, you know, they, 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 they serve me today, you know, how I choose to, uh, to I behave in my own personal life, my public persona, but also how I raised my own children was really all the lessons that I learned from my my folks. Uh, They were also very academic. Uh, I wasn't in the least bit. I just wanted to be a creative and a rapper and nothing else. But in the sort of latter part of my life, you know, I have begun to appreciate the value of pursuing academia and I'm now actively studying, uh, pursuing my uh, my BBA. I've been doing uh, short courses all over the place. And, you know, now, those early lessons, just like the lesson you gave me, uh, sometimes it only lands a few years later, but that's what makes it a powerful lesson. So these are some of the building blocks that I learned from my folks.
0: I'm always trying to understand what makes some people successful and how some people are just so much better at, at, at making the world um, a place that they can fit into and a place that they can make their contribution to. And I think in your case, one of the things that I appreciate, and you've just hinted at it now, is that you had a, you, it may have been, strict might not be the word, but a moral upbringing. Like, you know, religion was important. The structure of the family was important. You learned that those relationships have to be relationships of trust. You know, in some ways, you're very lucky. And, and, and I am too, if you consider the country we live in. There are so many young men who grow up without those positive influences and without any idea what the the moral or ethical way is to behave and sometimes they're lucky enough to have religion come in and fill some of those gaps sometimes they're lucky enough to have a grandparent come in and fill those gaps but a lot of people just you can't you can't blame them because it's not their fault but they have nothing mm-hmm. to guide them in those directions do you agree that that this is probably a a bigger issue in South Africa than any of the socioeconomic problems the politicians talk about.
1: 100% G and it was so beautifully articulated. Um, I reckon those fundamentals honestly really define us as a society, as a people. You know, if you look at everything that's happening now in the country from uh, the, our problem with uh, gender-based violence and domestic abuse and violence and uh, corruption and so on. All of these things, they, they really speak to the, the basics and the principles with which we were brought up. So it's our responsibility, I think, and I believe to empower the next generation to do better than us and to be better than us.
0: Rap is such a great genre of music. I, I know you and I have got a, a huge amount of respect for the rappers of old. And we we used to, I mean, I I still, I was hugely upset when I heard about DMX just the other day because he was one of those guys I grew up listening to, even though I doubt very much that any of my white friends at the time ever even knew what I was talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I can't even sing half those songs in public because the N words in them and then God alone knows what will happen to me. Right. I'm going to be super careful about that. But rap is complicated because... So much of rap, especially you know the new stuff, the the youngest, the young that, and you, you know which guys I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, little Nas X and guys like that. So much of it is really down and dirty. It's it's ghetto stuff. It's not necessarily the kind of stuff that you would want your children listening to. And as a rapper, mm-hmm. when you started out in music, you you just said your mother said to you don't you be swearing in a song. Um, yeah. To to keep rap clean is like to keep comedy clean. There are only a few people who can do that and they do it extremely well, but they always criticize. Someone will always say, Oh, he's doing that because he's not as good. And it's a way to disguise that. How did you respond to people who criticized you like that? Yeah. Pete? Yeah.
1: Look, um, the, the truth is, you know, the, the price to pay for, for being conscious and aware of, of your content and trying to keep it clean and positive is you, you sometimes don't enjoy as, as, as much support. And, um, you know, it's, it's possibly one of the reasons I didn't have a successful rap career. You know, uh, fortunately it wasn't the only thing I was doing, but that's, that's not even the point. So, so for me, uh, how I responded to the criticism was to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an individual. I define my destiny, what I stand for, even if it means I forfeit Uh, support at least largely so and so it was the price I was willing to pay but now if any of my songs were to come on the radio I don't run for the off button if I happen to be with my kids because I'm happy for what I stood for if you think about it all the all the people who go on to do amazing things don't always enjoy the support. But you have to be willing to to swim upstream and go against the grain. You know that's what the definition of standing for something is. It means you often have to, you know, go against the popular opinion or the popular, the popularist, you know, culture at the time.
0: Yeah, and it's just amazing how like the bad stuff seems to get uh, huge amounts of airplay and success and support, even though all those people who are saying they support it would want their children to be the opposite when they grow up. You know, <laughs> it's just so weird. Yeah. Like you're absolutely like you're living this kind of double life. Um, you also talk in the book and I mean, I thought this was really, this must've been the hardest part for you was talking about your, the tough moments, the, the, the very nasty mm. public divorce. Um, yeah. The, 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 the suicidal thoughts that you had afterwards because of that and the pressure it put on you. Um, that has to be one of the most difficult things for anybody to go through, and while lots of people have probably gone through it they didn 't have to go through it in a public way like you did sure, sure
1: well, I suppose you know the the, the flip side of that particular coin is um, you know I was also happy to 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 speak about it in public because it happened in public, so everybody witnessed it, and for me, it was important to show. The, the victory from it, the lessons from it, who have become as a result of it, you know, because it happened in front of you. I also want you to see what I learned from it, you know, because you may be going through something similar, if not worse, and, and not have the platform to speak about it. So by, by me sharing my story, I'm honestly hoping to, to empower many. And I must tell you, G, if I could, Copy and paste all of the the messages, all of the DMs, all of the emails that I've subsequently received from people going through similar things. I could publish two, three more books, you know. So it it again uh, proves why it it had to be addressed, you know. And and again, and I must stress this, it it wasn't to make myself come off like like the hero or. Or to rubbish anybody you know because we all flawed as human beings, but rather to say this is what i what I learned from from my challenges, um, which you witnessed right, but this is who i 've become as a result of it
0: well, I remember that um, interview that you did on um, on Power fm with Masachaba. and yeah you, you explained to her that you. Something happened that made you decide not to be a victim. Now, what I love about that, and you, I want you to explain it to us again for those people who didn't hear it. But yep. what, you, what you did there was the opposite of what you see so many people doing in society now. You, know, you see people claiming victimhood and forgetting that when, you may get the attention, you may get the sympathy, but you never get the respect. Whereas if you, sure. if you throw off the victimhood, it's going to cost you in the short term because people aren't going to be sympathetic. They're not going to come and say, oh, woe is me with you. But you are going to eventually in the long run get people's respect because you've got to stand up on your own two feet at some point and go, all of this has happened for whatever reason, good, bad, yeah, some of it's for my sure. fault. Some of it isn't my fault. Yeah. Um, what, what brought you to that realization? Because there are many, many of us who are still stuck in that victim circumstance.
1: For sure, for sure. Gee, what I found very empowering was... When I took ownership of, of my part in all of it, you know, and uh, I stopped looking on the outside and blaming this and the circumstance and anybody else and that this is what happened. Um, because by, by so doing, you take no responsibility for your part in it. And so as a result, the, Proverbial healing that's supposed to come uh, won't either, because it means then you want forgive or at least you want other people to come beg for forgiveness. You want the world to be sorry. You think the world owes you some kind of apology um, and they and they don't. You know, so if there's to be any kind of recovery and life was to kind of move on, you have to take ownership of of your story. So I kind of let go of that uh, victim mentality. I took ownership of my story. And the reason I spoke about it so boldly and freely in this book is because it's no longer something that I'm ashamed of, but rather... I'm proud of it because despite it and in spite of it, I've still been able to continue with my life and still continue to live a fruitful life and, and share
0: positivity in all the platforms that I'm on. You do. I love the way you said you proverbially, uh, proverbially healing. Pun <laughs> <laughs> intended. Take Marvin case, Marvin Gaye sexually healing and change it to proverbial healing.
1: <laughs> there you go. There you go.
0: All right. So, Um, Your mother, your relationship with your mother, you you briefly hinted at this already, but um, she has since passed um, uh, since you wrote the book. And uh, that must have brought you a realization of some of the things that you maybe wish you had said or done. um, Maybe some of the things that you're glad happened. Um, You did have a very tumultuous relationship with this lady, didn't you?
1: Yeah, no, we absolutely did. My mom and I, we bumped heads. If not all the way throughout my childhood, you know, um, but that's only because she she wanted her absolute best for me, Um, you know, and it was her best as far as her understanding at the time, you know, so she had little to no understanding about the career path that I wanted to go into, for instance, that caused a lot of friction, um, you know, about how I dealt with a lot of things.
0: What did she want you to be?
1: Well, consider that she was a professor and a doctor in education. Consider that my dad was a medical doctor and you combine those immediately. As soon as I tell you that I wanted to become a rapper, you can see how that is the opposite end of of the scale. So they honestly wish I had taken better advantage of my uh, schooling and opportunities that they afforded me. And I didn't. Um, because I was chasing this dream of mine so blindly. And uh, look, in hindsight, I'm glad I did because it afforded me the life that I can live. But I also value their teachings. And it's interesting how, as a parent now myself, I have to almost find that middle place where I want to guide my own kids, but I also want to give them the freedom to uh, chase and live their own life. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a balancing act. But by the time my mom passed, we we had a wonderful relationship you know she had come around she had seen how my life turned out and i really believe that she was proud so by the time she passed i was
0: i was at peace how how are your children
1: uh gee uh you know i get very emotional man i've i've got fantastic kids uh they are very different to who i am but there's also lots of similarities my my daughter is Sarcastic as hell. And I know that sense of humor. I want to take some credit for it, but she's incredibly sharp, incredibly smart. That I won't take credit for. I think it comes from her grandparents. Uh, my son is, uh, is athletic. He's very much into his gaming. Um, and I think that whole IT influence comes from, you know, his uncles and aunt, which is my brother and my sister were very much into IT folk. Uh, so they're very techno savvy and all that, but brilliant kids, despite all of the challenges that I have thrown at them because of my actions. They still continue to thrive, doing well at school. Um, we are driving off to, um, to a holiday tomorrow. And that's not because I can afford it and I'm doing very well, but because they deserve it, they earn it. So at every opportunity, I really try and reward them as much as I can.
0: There's something I've, I've spoken to you and Unati about many, many times. And I feel like it's yeah. something a lot of white people don't understand about the black entertainment industry and, and even journalists and, and black Twitter comes into this. And there's a whole lot of other stuff. There's an enormous yeah. amount of support and love, right? But there's also a huge amount of jealousy and ugliness that creeps into that world. Sure. And I've seen, and, and I remember Sormizi saying this a number of times, like he just will not take calls from, journalists at certain newspapers he also won't respond when people go crazy on social media or say things about him that he just knows are patently untrue why is it that so many great rappers singers artists dancers performers television personalities get pulled apart by the audience they're trying to entertain and why does it happen South Africa, where does that jealousy come from, and what do you think we can do about it to make the world a little bit nicer
1: mm, gee i I honestly wouldn't peg it down to to jealousy at least not squarely, you know and not wholly um I think it's it's a number of things, and one of them, in my opinion is you know and again it's not to make an a convenient excuse but because as as a people, you know, we are sort of previously disadvantaged. And I mean that sort of, you know, well,
0: uh, let's, let's use more, more, more so than others. Let's use the word traumatized because I think there are a lot of people, black and white in this country, who are very traumatized by our past. And many of them are, are quite old now. That, that pain has yeah, been yeah. down to successive generations without a doubt. Absolutely. And uh, the unfortunate symptom
1: of that is Whenever, you know, somebody is seen to be progressing, you know, we have the, the crabs in a, in a, in a bucket phenomenon where, where guys also want to, to thrive, you know, and because the pie is so small, because there are so few who are breaking out of the cycle, you know, um, that, you know, the rest behind are, are rather looking at you as, as, as a way out. So they sort of try pull you down to try and elevate themselves. And unfortunately, the, the consequence of it is we end up all pulling each other down and nobody really making any kind of progress. Uh, I will also flip the coin and say, for those who are able to break out of the cycle, uh, it's not always possible or we, we don't always have the resources to turn back and to throw the ladder down because opportunities are so few and far between. I mean, look at boardrooms. If you sit in a boardroom, right, and you can see you are a minority by far, you are the youngest guy, you're the only black guy, right. you but you want to sort of empower others, but you, you know, you, you're sort of worried by doing so you're going to then forfeit your seat, right. you know, so it's, it's a little bit of a catch 22. So I wouldn't pin it squarely down to, uh, to jealousy because if opportunities were equal, you know, I think you would have less of that. So if we can try and level the playing field a bit better, we, we would be better off.
0: It does say something about how extraordinarily hard the people who have made it have had to work and how much they've had to sacrifice because, you know, we do have like open up the industry and you hear about these things every yeah, now. Yeah. Why is pro getting all the work or why is Anele getting all the work or whatever it might be. But the fact is yeah. you're not getting that because um, you, you're trying to exclude other people. It, it is mm. so damn hard to make it in the first place. And, once people know sure. that you can be relied upon, that you're professional, that you do what you say, all of those things, no matter what uh, your background is. I mean, this happens in, in all areas of the, of the entertainment industry. Once people know that yeah. about you, they want you to work on their project. It helps them to do a better job, too. So it's, it's not all cut and dried. I agree with you. Gee, but
1: if I can just add to that, um, it's also very important to to throw the ladder back down, you know, and if it's by way of sharing information, by exposing others, or just by having these conversations and telling others how you were able to sort of crack it, you know, that for me, however small, can go a long way to, you know, throwing the opportunities back.
0: Isn't that why you wrote the book? I mean, let's go full circle, because I think that's part of what your book will do for people. One hundred
1: percent. And also to, to show the challenges, because you also don't want it to appear as if you are this superhuman, invincible. You just walk into a room and the deal is signed immediately. You know, I also think it's important to to express all the doors that have been closed in your face. And it just so happens that the two you have opened, you know, you're grateful for. But I also, you know, I can't stress it enough. I think if we can empower each other, share information freely, not sort of hog the limelight and again, proverbially open up the industry, I honestly think we'll be better off as a people and the whole pull him down syndrome should begin to diminish. I want to go so far as to say, I think uh, corruption is a similar symptom. You know, uh, if you were previously disadvantaged, you can imagine if you have access to millions, all of a sudden you will sort of grab it all because you know no better and you've gone all your life without so you don't know any otherwise you know uh so
0: there's so many stories of like someone who's been you know trapped as a prisoner with like very little to eat and then if you put a feast in front of them they're gonna they're gonna tuck into it like uh, like a machine you know yeah last thing because um we are living in a very extraordinary time now and and it is hard to to know how much you can and can't say on social media, you seem to walk a very, very careful line. No, no, this is something I envy in you. You seem to be able to just realize that some arguments and some discussions are not your area and that you don't want to get involved in them. And you just stay the hell out. I wish I had that ability, that restraint.
1: (laughs) You you know what? We we live in such sensitive times, you know, where uh, you can easily... um, offend somebody without intending to or with with being none the wiser, not knowing that that's what will offend them, you know, and your intentions can be as good as you want them to be. And, uh, you know, social media has also made the, the cancel culture pretty rife. Um, so one has to sort of tread that line, you know, especially if you have an unpopular opinion, you know, um, and somebody who, I like to play devil's advocate and always consider all sides. And unfortunately, that does mean that every now and again, you will land on an unpopular opinion because you considered a different perspective, you know. So um, I'm always uh, a little bit calculated about which conversations I engage in, especially ones where I have a strong opposing opinion. And. Um, it is a little bit of a catch-22 because it does mean you often forfeit offering a perspective because you run the risk of being canceled. Um, so it just, it just means you have to be a bit more calculated and strategic about where and about how you express, especially an adverse opinion.
0: I love talking to you. It's always a pleasure. It makes me feel like uh, like we're really uh, just at the the start of something good. And I know that Idols continues to be a show that pumps out all the talent and all the results, and the ratings are always sky high. And I, I'm not surprised at all because they've got someone like you helping to run things. Um, you're, you're wow. I'm sure, extremely proud of you. The book is a work of art, so well done on that front. And uh, I hope we'll see each other again soon, man. Once all this uh, this Corona shit's over, then we can get together and have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> for sure gee thank
1: you so much it's it's always a, a privilege chatting to you i will also admit this and it plugs into uh our previous conversation just before this uh i i do also get nervous when uh when you or your producer calls to say do you want to chat to to a uh, gareth cliff because i know that you No holds barred kind of guy. Uh, You will express your opinion regardless of who agrees with it or not. And uh, I I certainly respect you for it. And because I'm not as brave as you, I I get afraid of being pulled into the deep waters. And I don't know how well I can swim. But I appreciate you, Aji. You are an absolute gentleman, a legend. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to reconnect as soon as it's safe to do so.
0: Thank you so much, my friend. There's proverbial everybody cliffcentral.com